Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Uh, the sound that you hear right now is not the sweet sounds of Luke Lipinski. He is filling in on the radio today, so he just completely ditched us. He stood us up, Craig, is what he did. I do feel a little naked without Luke. You know, he has that radio smooth voice. You and I are just two guys. Yeah, we're just we're just two jamokes trying to do a show. And, and, and Luke, just again, he just, just left us just you know, with, with no regard for our feelings or our thoughts or this podcast or our listeners. Just say, yeah, you know what? I, I have something better to do. Which, you know what, to be fair, he's not wrong, but still, it hurts a little bit. But uh, we'll call episode 54 the, the Danny Briere episode. He wore that number in 1998 briefly before he switched to, the, to number eight. So I think that was the only Coyote who wore that number. It's all right, because Coyote fans love him. He's one of the all-time good guys. Still keep in touch with Danny, so I'm very happy calling him just that. Just that. Hey, just that. Just, hey, he's still a fan favorite. We still see jerseys uh, around Gila we River do, Arena, actually. surprisingly enough. The but Gina jerseys. Yes, we do. Cubist Coyote, as I call him. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's move on to some of the top news because there's a lot of news now. The NHL is opening later tonight. Mm-hmm. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, so the season kind of snuck up on us, but it's here. With a, I believe there's what four games or five games tonight kicking off the slate, but a, yeah. a lot of RFA's that we've been talking about over the last several shows that finally kind of got their deals done. First yes, one being the Kita Kucherov. Like a, uh, it's like a good news, bad news. What we're, we're going to hit on here today. Let's start with the good news. Good news. Nikita Kucherov signs a three-year deal with an AAV of a little over $4.7 million. Uh, as, you, as you marked out in our notes, uh, Steve Eiserman equals GM God. It's kind of true, isn't it? It is. I mean, Nikita Kucherov, what would, you, what would you pay for this guy right now? I would make, I'd make an argument that he's the best player on this team. He, he very well might be. I mean, he's got to be what, a six-plus-million-dollar player if, you, yeah. if he hit the open market. Uh, it's just a fantastic deal. And now, you know, it's, it's shorter term, so he'll still be able to get his money down the road. But for, for now, it, when you look at the, the lightning window, too, we've talked about this. Right now, they're, I mean, they're a cup contender right now, and this, this just works so well within their cap structure. Steve Eiserman has just done a fantastic job down there. He really has. I mean, from the Stamco signing to how he's handled the Jonathan Drouin situation. It's really quite amazing. It's why, you know, we've both talked about how much we love Tampa Bay this season, and we'll talk a little bit later about where we think they might fit in the in our playoff predictions and our Stanley Cup predictions. But it's hard not to look at that team and think, it's if it's not the best team in the league, it might be the most talented team in the league. Yeah, and I don't know, what are they missing? Seriously, what are they missing? And there, there's even talk, there's, it's almost an assumption that they're going to trade Ben Bishop at some point, one of the top goaltenders in the game. And everybody's just like, yeah, meh, they'll be okay. They'll, yeah. still, they'll still be a cup contender without him. And you know what? Maybe they don't. As, as Roy Cummings who talked to us about a couple weeks back, that they might decide, especially if they don't get anything offered to them that they think is worthwhile, you know what? We're going to ride it out. Because ultimately, if you win a cup, that's all that matters. That's what you play for. So if you have the roster put together to win a cup right now, go for it. You worry about the future in the future. Speaking of the future, the Calgary Flames are a team we've talked a bunch about, about how much we like all their core pieces and how they have continued to grow with uh, under the the leadership of of B, <laughs> of B, B uh, steering the ship. We'll have a monsoon at some point, hopefully, very soon. Anyway, we'll talk about the Flames a little bit later today. We're talking with uh, uh, Fluto Shinzawa of the Boston Globe about the Bruins and Christian Oldland about the Calgary Flames and the Calgary Herald. So we'll get to those people a little bit later. And again, two excellent reporters. And we're going to get a lot of insight about two teams that are kind of on the fringe of playoff contention. Kristen Oldham was flying the Cub flag last night, too, the wind flag. I noticed that on Twitter, so I'm, I'm officially a big fan. Oh, I'm sure. She'll get an invite back anytime she wants. You still, celebra- still celebrating? Well, yeah, I think I am, actually. <laughs> I, I, saw I think it. I'm allowed one day of celebration. You know, the other series isn't even over yet, so I, considering where I was in the eighth inning, 
preparing for game five and thinking in my mind, yeah, it's all going south here. Because I, I was imagining the tension at Wrigley Field for a game five. It would have been Bartman-esque. <laughs> it would have been yeah, brutal. There would have been so much pressure on that team. And, you know, San Francisco wins two games already. I think they probably would have won the series at that point. But what a huge ninth inning for the Cubs. Every Cubs fan just shuddered right now that was listening when you when you said Bartman-esque. And uh, we had Tommy Stokey, who also works with us, that walked in the office I in his Cubs jersey. And, I saw and him it, you, were, you were beating your chest as he walked by trying to make eye contact and letting him know. <laughs> Uh, but uh, back back to the Flames, and they signed Johnny Gaudreau to a six-year deal worth six point seven five million, probably more in line with what Kucherov maybe should be making. But they had to get this deal done. I'm glad it finally got done. He has continued to be one of the premier players in the league coming out of college. Yeah, I'm curious what Kristen's going to say about them. I, I've talked to Brad about him quite a few times about the upside. I mean, they really don't know what his upside is. But when you can, you know, you can lock a guy up on a six-year deal, you can afford to pay him a little bit more money because you know you've got him. Down, uh, you know, down on the roster long term. They've got some interesting cap issues themselves. We'll get into that with Kristen as well. This this team could have some issues down the road. They have some overages they have to worry about. But getting Johnny Gaudreau locked up was a no brainer, a piece that they have to have, especially with the style of play today in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, nearly a point per game player last year, seventy eight points in seventy nine games. Took that next step after his rookie season, where he had sixty four points in eighty games, and. Looks looks really good. He, you know, a lot of people were worried about his size coming in. Would he be able to continue to be the offensive dynamo that he was in college when he had to face r- men in, in an NHL setting? And yeah. he's just exceeded expectations. And yeah, I don't know what his upside is. Maybe, maybe there is Art Ross upside mm. coming down the line. He's still well, so young. Yeah, and little players. I mean, Patrick Kane did it. You know, I don't, I'm not saying Johnny Gaudreau is Patrick Kane at this point. That's, that's pretty high praise. But in, the, in today's NHL, with the style, with the things that are happening in the game that they they're focusing on speed. They're focusing on skill. They're trying to open it up a little bit more for offensive players, although I know several players, uh, old players are complaining about the creativity in the game today. Hopefully we're moving in that direction, and that could be a benefit to a guy like Johnny Gaudreau. Absolutely. Again, younger, faster, more skilled. That's what this game is going toward after kind of getting a little bit bigger for a little bit there in the, in the L.A. Kings era of them, going to, of them winning cups where everyone said, you know, we need to be fast, but we also we need to be big and we need to be physical on the puck, and now it's... We just don't want to lose the puck. Right. We don't have to be as physical if we always have the puck. One of the other big RFA signings, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, six-year deal, $32.4 million in Buffalo. That, that's a big signing for a team that I don't know if they're ma- a playoff contender yet, but they are certainly on Not the rise. News today. Ooh, <laughs> yes. News today with Jack Eichel going down with a, what looks like a horrific ankle injury. We don't know what it is yet. At least I haven't seen a, an update on that, but they lose him. You know, as long as we're talking about the Sabres, oh, we, might, yeah. we can't ignore that. Yes, this was an important signing as well, but if they lose Jack Eichel, what a blow. Because we're going to talk predictions later. I had Buffalo as one of my surprise teams before the Jack Eichel news to possibly make the playoffs this year, but they can't afford to lose a piece like that. Yeah, I mean, at the time of recording, we don't know the severity of the injury, which is the report of an ankle injury suffered today, but we we're hearing it doesn't look good. Now, what whether that means a week, two weeks, the season, uh, we don't know yet. But if he's lost for any significant period of time, Buffalo is not that good yet to kind of no. sustain a massive loss like that. Should I just come clean and admit that I'm eating French fries while we're on the air? Here? Yeah, just, just, okay. just, just picking through some, some Burger King French fries and, and a drink. Fine. You had to say Burger King. You had to I let did. know how low quality the I French did. I did. Our producer over there. We have a producer now. That's how fancy right. we are now. Okay. He's I have shaking my his daughters head with me. To, here's my excuse. I have my daughters with all me. All right, here we go. break. They chose Burger King, so I'm just laying it all on them. I'm throwing them under just, the just bus. Th- just throw them right under the bus. They have no idea. They can't even hear me, and I'm certain they won't listen to the podcast. So. Hey, you know, you, maybe just force them to listen to it now. Say, hey, you made an appearance on the show. 
even paid attention. And speaking of injuries, though, aside from Jack Eichel, another massive center, you know, Jonathan Huberto and Sidney Crosby both out. Oh, Crosby the best player with a, in the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just, just the best player in the game. Uh, Sidney Crosby with a concussion. And again, anytime you hear about a head or neck injury involving Sidney Crosby, people are understandably shaken. Yeah, they, as well they should be. There was, there was that weird thread that it happened at the World Cup. I don't know where that came from. But yeah. I mean, Crosby just, just shot the, I'm like, you know, we, it, it happened on Friday. I said it happened on Friday. Why is anyone having an issue with this? What difference does it make where the injury occurred? Yeah, I mean, you want to condemn the World Cup somehow by claiming that it happened there? It's an injury. It's a horrible thing, obviously. You don't want a marquee player like Sidney Crosby or Jack Eichel or Jonathan Huberto, for that matter, out for a long period of time in the NHL season. Just bad news for those clubs early on. And particularly for Crosby, somebody with a history of mm-hmm. head and neck issues dating back years where he missed significant time. And there's always going to be, no matter how good he is, for the rest of his career. There's always going to be that period of time that everyone says, well, what if? What if he was able to play all those games? Where would he have been in the all-time great list? How far would he have gone up or down based on if he was able to play all those games? So you worry. And it might just be, again, there's no, I hear there's no such thing as quote-unquote mild concussion, so I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence by saying that. But we have no idea if this is something that is going to be a problem like it was a few years back where he missed extended period of time or something that he can rest for maybe a week or week or two and come back, but the Penguins can, can sustain for now. They have a lot of talent, but if he misses a long period of time, again, the difference between being a, a cup contender and just a playoff team, that's a fine line. Yeah, it's a fine line called a franchise center, as we yeah. talked about him. Yeah, and the best players. player in the game, yes. you know, just, just a nobody. But, uh, it, I mean, he would have been, we'll be about to get in that in a second, but he would have been, I mean, I think I still have him on my list of my top three Hart Trophy candidates because I'm just assuming he's not going, and hoping, more than assuming, that he's just not going to miss a significant period of time. Are but, we kicking this off now? Yeah, let, let, let's go right to that then. Do you right. want to start with the Hart Trophy? You want to go Our at the very top and down? Prediction. So we're, we're, giving, we're doing this. Uh, like, did, did you guys do this last year when I was still a special guest? Actually uh, I, an uninvited guest early on? Well, you were kind of invited. I don't think I got an invite early. I mean, you, you, you kind of showed up. I'm like, oh, okay. Like you knocked <laughs> the, the party was already was going right. and you knocked on the door. Yeah, he just kept coming. So we, we decided we just put him on the show. Well, we, we made you sit on the couch away from the table, if you remember, <laughs> back in the I old studio. Remember. And then everybody yelled at us that they couldn't hear you, and they didn't realize that was the plan the entire time. And then you decided to blow up my mic for the next few shows, so that yeah, hear me again. Yeah, or just the one episode that just completely just disappeared. This, I don't even know what to call this. I don't even know what I'm looking at now. Yeah, we have this weird it's contraption like, here now. And... It's really expensive. That's all I can say. Yeah, well, we are only the best for you, Craig. <laughs> you... Yeah, that's right. It's, it's <laughs> sad that you're still using that old mic. Yeah, just the, the, old, the old one there. But, uh, yeah, it's it. Literally only the best for you. All right, so back on topic here, our, our fearless predictions for the season. So we're, we're going to run down the major awards. We're going to avoid things like the Lady Bing. I'm sorry if that means something to you. You can probably do your own predictions there. But we're going to talk about the major awards. We're going to pick our division winners, our conference finalists. We're going to have surprise playoff teams. Miss that. Surprise teams that missed the playoffs. Conference finalists and cup final picks. So let us start with the Hart Trophy. Who you got? I'm going to be really boring on this one. Yeah, uh, okay. Crosby, Jamie, Ben, and Carey Price. Those are my top three going into the season. And okay. part of this list is it's a combination of what I think is going to happen and what I think voters are going to do. Mm. And I think Carey Price, and there's going to be another name on this list, especially when we get to the Norris, that is going to be specifically about what I think voters are going to do. Okay, so I'm, I'm along the same lines, actually, for one of these guys who you haven't mentioned. I have Sidney Crosby on the list as well. It would be foolish to leave him off as a candidate. Speaking of voters, we saw what happened last year, although it didn't get to the point of ridiculousness. I think Connor McDavid is going to be a Hart Trophy candidate this year. 
Yeah, he, he could, could be up there. Could do that point per game thing that he was doing last year, or slightly more than a point per game. He's I got think a lot of people are going to like him. Yeah, he's got just the amount of hype around him too. He's not coming out of nowhere. People know his name. They want to give him these type of awards. Mm-hmm. They really wanted to give him the Calder last year. And yeah, I mean, if he, he remains healthy, torch. yeah, if he remains healthy and that team is, well, the team's not going to be good, but if they remain healthy and he puts up a lot of points. That was my Burger King Coke, by the way. I, I do find this interesting, though, because we always hear the narrative about, well, you have to be on a good team, right? You hear that in all sports where there's the, well, MVP, so you have you to say? be a good team. So it's the Mike Trout argument, right? Like he's the best player in baseball, but he never wins because he's on the Angels. So you're saying the Edmonton Oilers won't improve this year? They're not going to break a 10-year playoff drought? Yeah, no, I don't okay. see it. They're, they're not uh, – I'm checking my surprise playoff team list. Edmund, nope, not there. I think he'll be off – he won't win it for that reason, but I, I think he's going to be near the top. My third guy is a guy who I think deserves more credit, but he probably needs to put up a little more offense production to, to, to get in this get on this list is Jonathan Taves. Yeah. I am really curious to see what that line's going to look like this year. I don't – there's no guarantee that they're going to do what they've been experimenting with, but there are a couple possibilities – I think Marion Hosa at some point is going to drop down to their third line and play with Marcus Kruger. Taves is either going to play with Patrick Kane or he's going to play with a couple of young kids who can just go, go, go. And it's going to be really interesting to see what Taves can do when he's cut loose a little bit. He's, yeah. he's always had to be so responsible at the defensive end. He's their shutdown guy. I'd really like to see what could happen if they just give him a little more leeway, a little more ability to freelance. And if he's got two guys who can skate, it's interesting. He could be in this conversation. Yeah, he, he had to sacrifice some offensive production for his defensive responsibilities and the responsibilities of his line mates. And it's one of those where you, you wonder how much defense gets actually put into play. I do feel like a lot of times people are doing where they'll, they'll click the little points button and look down and like, oh, okay, so this guy's here, this guy's here, this guy's here. So that, that's the MVP. But mm-hmm. if you take his all-around game in on that team and what he does, uh, touches all areas of the game, that that's a – a great pick on a prominent team that, that's going to win some hockey games. It's surprising that he doesn't get more love in that spot. Yeah, and he's a, he's a Selkie Trophy finalist often. I mean, he's always in that conversation as well. So it's clear that he is a great two-way player. So, it, yeah, you're right. It, it is sad sometimes that it, basically people just look at stats. They'll get your point production. Okay, that decides the MVP. And that's, that's obviously important. If you're creating offense, that's the most important thing. But Jonathan Taves is preventing offense as well, and he does it as well as anybody in the league with the possible exception of yeah, and it's not like he's putting up 45 points either. Right. It's not, I mean, he is putting up a good number of points. If he put and up 80 points, would you seriously consider him for this? Yeah, I would. I really would. I and mean, if he, he was up in that point-per-game range with the defensive responsibilities that he has, I think he absolutely does. Because I'm looking last, you know, if you look at last year's point total, people that were above 80, Eric Carlson, Joe Thornton, Sidney Crosby, Jamie Ben, Patrick Kane. I mean, Patrick Kane had 106, so it becomes a difficult argument at that point because that's a massive jump. But defensively, he's... Uh, maybe outside of Cros- – I mean, he's better than Crosby defensively, but Crosby maybe has similar responsibilities on his end, but otherwise everybody else is a lot more one way. Yeah, I, I agree. You're splitting hairs at the top. These are they're yeah, I mean, all they're sensational guy, I mean, players. Andre Kopitar is a great two-way player as well. Won the Selkie last year. Um, Getzloff used to be. I'm not sure – I'm not sure he's even in the conversation of elite centers anymore with what he's been doing recently. One of the more perplexing players in the yeah. league this year, even going back to the conversation we had with Eric Stevens. I mean – what's the expectation for him? I, I have no idea. I mean, there, if he scores 75 points next year, I wouldn't be shocked. If he scores 50, wouldn't be shocked either. I, if he I, scores 50, the Ducks aren't making the playoffs. Well, they might not. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But Art Ross, so slightly different here, points leader. Uh, I, I went with Kane 
I just I have to. I, I looked at what he did last year. I don't think he's going to go north of 100 again this year, but maybe he does. Hmm. Uh, Sidney Crosby, again, I'm not expecting him to miss a ton of time. Uh, and Connor McDavid, this is where I put I him in know, here. If I he stays, if he stays healthy, I think again, yeah, he doesn't have really any defensive responsibility he has to take. So if he stays healthy, I think he's going to be up there. I think he's going to be above point per game. You know, the argument was always with Connor McDavid because he missed half the season or whatever it was, close to half the season. He's averaging a point a game. And you, you couldn't say that that was going to extend over the course of an entire season because rookies hit a wall. There's times where you go through lulls, and he didn't have to experience that. So I didn't think it was fair of people who were voting for him as the Calder Trophy winner to say that. Now we're going to find out. Second season, he knows what it's like to play in the NHL, so he's got that experience under his belt. If he can average better than a point a game, whew, he is. I mean, you do pass the torch at that point. You realize that he is the next guy. And especially for Art Ross, you're looking a lot at potential. Who has the potential to really break out? And there's nobody with more potential outside of Kane and Crosby to put up 100 points this year than Connor McDavid. Whether he does or not remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we have essentially a, a half season worth of data on him. But on, on the potential scale, I, I think we, I talked about it. I mean, obviously, Kane got to 100, but I thought last year in the preseason, I talked to Luke about this on this similar show. I thought the next player that got to 100 points was going to be Connor McDavid. Yeah, I got one other guy on this list that I'm throwing out. It's Tyler Sagan. Well, I think he's Health ready too. for. Yeah, he's healthy. I think he's ready for that big season to really establish himself as one of the elite players in this league. And he gets to play with another elite. Yeah, he player. plays with Jamie Benn, and there's a whole lot of offense on that team, so you can't worry about this line. Clearly, they're still going to be your main concern, but there's a lot of firepower on that team, so that's going to help this line as well. I want to see what he can do healthy. I really do think he's ready for a a big year. I think that team is ready for a big year. Uh, this is their moment. I mean, they, they have really the offensive is. ability to make that run. And well, again, we, we've questioned... About their defense, oh, well. V- very conspicuous by their absence in this conversation is their defense. Let's move on to Rookie of the Year. And again, second straight year where it's going to be... It's always interesting because it's the first-year guys. But last year with Connor McDavid coming in and Jack Eichel coming in, was it just a, a crazy from the start? This year it's going to be a little bit, a little bit more tempered, but still a big deal because Austin Matthews has been talking about for a while... Who, who are your top three on here? Mm, I'm boring on this one. Yeah, I'm I am really as well. Because I, I, I just don't see it. When I look down the list of players, I don't see a lot of legitimate candidates here. I mean, everybody's going to have Austin Matthews on their list. Most people are going to have him winning it. But I've got, you know, I've got Patrick Laine and Matthew Kachuk as two guys. That, uh, Kachuk has been, Kachuk's been really good in the preseason. They're impressed with him. And he's a guy who just seems like a point producer to me. So those are my three guys on that list. Yeah, the only other name I'd add to that mix is Mitch Marner. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another case where you have a very young team with a lot of young, skilled players. That maybe he can put up a ton of points as well. But yeah, I have Matthews and Lion A on there. Kachuk would have been number four for me if he went to that. I think it's the obvious candidates. There's a reason those players were drafted as high as they were. They all have the opportunity to succeed. And they're all surrounded by young ascending talented players that can help boost them. That, that's what you look for when you're looking for a rookie of the year. Yeah, we had James Murrow from the Globe and Mail on, like, was it last week, two weeks ago, and he was talking about Austin Matthews maybe not being hyped enough. So the, the sense there internally is that he's even better than they thought he was going to be when he shows up. So he could be in for a monster year. All right, how about Vezina Trophy? Yeah, you These are I'm... boring ones too, aren't they? There's yeah. not a lot of candidates here. I mean, maybe Tuka Rask has a bounce-back year. We'll talk about that with Fluto Shinsawa in a little bit, but... I got Carey Price, Braden Holpe, and Corey Schneider. That's, that's really boring. That's, that's not taking any chances at all, really. Yeah, I have two and three. I have Price and Holpe as well. I threw Bishop in there. I'm going to assume he doesn't get traded. Because uh, if he gets traded to Dallas, his numbers are going to take a hit, regardless of how good he is. Just, it's, <laughs> it's just the, the system that they play in the defensive <laughs> court the they have. But 
those are the four. Uh, I think Schneider was he probably deserves to be on there, but I think he's not going to get the love he should get because I don't think that Jersey's going to be good at all. That's too bad because but, when you watch the way they yeah. play, you, well, you and I, maybe we're a little bit biased because that Coyote game here where he was like under siege, they had like 96 shot attempts and lost 2-1. Well, he's, that's going to be the entire year for him. Yeah, I mean, we looked like, at the Devils' defensive core. That's going to yeah, be the whole season. It's like everybody fall back and put a wall around Corey. And, and we've, also, we've also seen a ton of him when he was in Vancouver, yeah. you know, playing out here in the Pacific Division. So it's to me, if you look at just pure talent level, if you put any of the goalies in the situation he's in, they might not perform better than him. But his numbers get taken down just slightly, and it puts them in that scenario. All right, Norris Trophy. I've got a couple uh, surprises here. Now, I think Eric Carlson will probably win it if he puts up the points he normally yeah. puts up because people got felt he got cheated last year when he didn't win it, when Drew Doughty won it. I've got two guys on here that don't get talked about enough, in my opinion, because they're in smaller markets. Maybe not the offensive production, but th- that could change this year, given their situations. I've got Victor Hedman on this list. I've got Oliver ekman Larson on this list. It is about time he gets some props. It really is. I mean, it, it feels like he's just the best-kept secret out here in the desert where he continues to play tough minutes, every situation, on the power play all the time, on the PK all the time, doesn't have a, you know, hasn't played with a dynamic defensive partner that has helped him, yet he continues to perform year after year after year. Yeah. And, and Victor Hedman is, might be the, in that case, same draft class, for the whole league. I mean, Victor Hedman has been unbelievable, and that team has been good, and he still doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. Right, he doesn't get the offensive production, and I think that's part of it. But, you know, looking at Tampa, too, that, that might change. He might jump a little bit this year, and it might be enough. But, you know, if Carlson goes putting up a point a game again, I think people are just going to be swayed and take him. Yeah, I have Carlson on the list because that's, that's the voters. If he puts up 80 points, he deserves to be in the conversation at least. I, I think P.K. Subban's going to have a, a big year in Nashville. I think that system is... about mo- him. I, I agree with you. That system fits him a little mm-hmm. bit better than Montreal. And Chris Letang, who I continue to think is probably the most valuable defenseman to his team that there is in the league right now. And probably doesn't get enough love because of all the offensive dynamos that are in Pittsburgh right now. But when Chris Letang is not playing, when he's off the ice, that looks like a completely different team. Would you say this if Luke were, you know, absent? Would you say it if Luke were here? No, probably not. I don't okay. want to stoke his ego. Just making sure. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, before we head on to talk about the division winners, I think yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll... Two more awards here. Selkie yeah. Trophy. I got Patrice Bergeron, Patrice Bergeron, and Jonathan Taves. <laughs> yeah, it's about... Yeah, this is Kopitar's boring. Kopitar's not winning it again. They gave it some... No, they're not giving it to... They're not going to do it for another 12 years. Yeah, Bergeron, Kopitar, Taves. Uh, <laughs> move on. And that's... that's Swipe your hands of it. We know what it's going to be. It's, it's predictable every year. every year. It's crazy. Can't be a winger and be good defensively. What about Jack Adams? Who's the coach of the year this year? I think uh, Peter Laviolette has a really decent chance. Number I think one on my list. Yeah. I, I, one, I think he's done a fantastic job. Two, that team is going to have a really good year this year, and that's a really good combination. A team that has some history of success but really gets taken to the next step. And now they're going to have some national prominence. I really like Laviolette this year. Uh, I think uh, Bednar in Colorado, because we're going to talk a little bit about teams that could be surprise <laughs> playoff teams. Uh, I think that, that's a team to watch. Cause I think because he's not Patrick Wall? It might be, and that's kind of going to be my reasoning for Colorado later. And Bill Peters, we talk about surprise playoff teams. There's always that non-playoff team that becomes a playoff team where there's a lot of groundswell for that Jack Adams, or really in any coach of the year in any sport. I think those two might be the best beneficiaries of that. Okay. In addition to Laviolette, I've got John Cooper on here because I think he deserves some love. And, and I've got a dark horse in John Hines. Ah. I'm the Devils. So, so you're a little bit higher on the Devils than I am. I'm, I'm, in the East, I think they have a chance. I think they can be around it. And if they make the playoffs, that's... That's remarkable. Taylor Hall's in the mix. Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) 
You don't like that blue line? Oh, that, that blue line is the worst in hockey. Yeah, it's that, that just it scares me so but much. Got Corey. It, that, but it almost counteracts how good of they have an elite goaltender, maybe the most talented in the league right now. But that defense is so bad. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It just just absolutely brutal. Dude, right. So you're just killing my dark horse pick here. Yeah, so I just, just keep doing it. it. Okay, let's just move on to division winners. I'm, I'm hurt. Well, who do you have in the Atlantic then? This this should be a little bit easier. That's one. easy. We both have Tampa Bay. Yeah, well, say yeah, that. definitively. You're gonna hear Tampa Bay a lot in this next and part. Do you have Washington in the Metropolitan? Are we in? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so we're in agreement on the East. Who you got in the Central? Uh, I, I think Dallas is going to take it because I think again that style of hockey can win in the regular season over because when you're playing bad teams or you're playing mediocre teams, they could just run them to death. My concern with that team becomes when they face another elite talent that can just be a, a mismatch against that defensive core. Yeah, that's a it's a good argument. I I, I struggled between Dallas and, and and Nashville honestly. Yeah. I thought about Nashville. I, I you know Dallas is going to be working in some younger defensemen. I think there might be some growing pains. The same situation is going to play out in Chicago. With their forwards, they've got some young guys, so they might, you know, they might have some rough patches during the season. Nashville has a terrific roster. They have a maybe the best blue line in the game. If Pecorino can, re, we talked about that as well. With, can he rebound? Yeah, yeah, with Adam Vigan. If he can rebound, they've got enough up front that I think this team is capable of that kind of season. They were they were playing that way for much of the season last year. If you remember, before they went through that slump, so. They're my pick, but I would not be surprised if the Dallas Stars ended up winning this division. Yeah, I had Nashville number two, Chicago number three if we did the top three in that division. But uh, in the Pacific, I, I here's just the weird thing. L.A. was so good in the regular season and so poor against San Jose in the first round. Mm-hmm. I have no read on that team. I think they win this division, but I have no read on them. I'm the same way about Anaheim. Both L.A. and Anaheim, I have no idea what to expect from them. I wouldn't be surprised if they won the division or missed the playoffs given the trajectory of those two franchises, because I, yeah. I think they're both going down. I really do. Yeah. I, well, I think everybody in the Pacific Division that made the playoffs last year is kind of, Maybe San Jose is, is on a plateau at the moment, at least for one more year, but yeah, everybody but, but kind of feels like they're trending Marlo. in the wrong direction. This feels like this is going to be like a, a Calgary, Arizona oh, yeah, We're going to see a complete run. turnover of this division in a couple of years, I do think. Yeah, Cal, Even Edmonton, yeah. Yeah, it, it's, at some point. At some point. Connor Edmonton has to, to be win. better. He's too good. They have to be at some point, even just by luck. Remember, just PDO your way in. At some point, they have to just get lucky enough with that level of talent to get in. All right, who's your surprise team to miss the playoffs in each conference? Uh, I don't know if this is a real surprise team in the West, but I'm going to St. Louis. Okay. I, still I, stick with them. You don't like the uh, Neil Yakupov pickup? I think it's fine. I think he needs a change of environment. I, I just too. I don't think it's going to help that team that much. They lost too much talent. So I'm going to, yeah, I think St. Louis, and I don't think they're going, they're going to be in contention, but I don't think they're going to be a team that, we're Nasty waiting to the last day of the season to see if they make the playoffs. I think they're going to fade. I battled between them and the Anaheim Ducks, who I just, you know, with, with Bruce Boudreau gone now, I, I'm curious. It, he took some of the blame for that, and, and I think internally he was taking some of the blame with the players as well. I want to see what happens to that franchise now that he's not around. Now, we, we know he didn't have success in the playoffs, in Game 7s in particular, but they had very consistent regular seasons. They were on the cusp that one year with the Blackhawks where they probably should have won the Cup that year. I think he probably got too much blame, and, and now we're going to see what Anaheim is made up without him. Yeah, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, and I have them making it just because I think the, I think Calgary and Arizona are still a year away in the Pacific to get, get in that top three, but I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, that, that team has really just been disappointing with all the talent that they have. Uh, in the East, I have, well, the obvious one is Detroit. Yeah, that's mine, but, but, just but, because it's been but a that's not. But I, I, I went with it. He's going to crush me again. <laughs> I went with the second one just because I figured... Every, another cold fry here. Because one, everybody would know I'd pick Detroit because that's, that's my gimmick now. 
Uh, and two, because the only reason we say that is because of the playoff streak. It's not because of their actual talent level. Philadelphia, to me, I think there's a, there's a lot of, oh, and they were so good at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. They're just going to carry that momentum into this season. I, I think they're, I don't think their overall record's going to end up being that much better. And I think Carolina could surpass them. Yeah, I, li- I like I like where Carolina's going, actually. That's 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 a pretty good pick, actually, if you you want to pick a team that might surprise and make it into the playoffs. That, that's a pretty good team. Um, I had Buffalo in the East before this Jack Eichel news. Now, if Jack Eichel is, in fact, lost for the season, I might flip to the Carolina Hurricanes. And then in the West, I'm taking the Calgary Flames. I think they're ready to, to get back into the playoff hunt and, and make it a more consistent thing. Yeah, and to me, I, I have Carolina in the East. I, I think that team has been on the cusp for a while now, and I think they have a lot of young players. You want to see how that shuffles out, Sebastian Ajo being the principal one at the moment. But that's a team that's continued to go up. And, and in the West, as I mentioned before, Colorado, I think that team was dragged down so much by its coach that that level of talent under a new coach, which is still Ooh, a wild you card. The, you got the abs in the playoffs. I do. Central Division would be nasty if, I do. They make, if they're a playoff contender. I, I, that's I, every team in the mix. I do. I think wow. they make the playoffs. Those would be my picks. Okay. Okay. Who are your conference finals in East and West? East is boring. Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay have talked about it a bunch. Same. Uh, West, San Jose, and Nashville. Oh, we got the same semifinalists. Oh. They're so boring. We got to change it. Oh. We to, wait, we're, we're getting worried. We have to blow this up. Uh, then oh, then who's right. your cup pick? Oh, Jamie's just switched to the Colorado Avalanche. He's told me. <laughs> yeah, off, yeah, just off air. <laughs> I got Tampa over Nashville. Do we pick the same All right, we're thing? done. We're <laughs> done here. It's just really dull. Okay. Yeah, this is very boring. I think this is simple. Luke, I, we miss you. Yeah, this is boring. We need we need Luke's hot takes. Clearly, you would have picked Pittsburgh. Like Pittsburgh no, you picked Pittsburgh, Chicago, and probably Chicago right. to win the well, cup in I, three. I know Luke is picking Chicago to come out of the West. Yeah, Chicago over Pittsburgh in three probably is what Luke would have said. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to move on to the next segment of our show where we bring in, first off, Fluto Shinzawa of the Boston Globe to talk a little bit about the Bruins, so we'll segue right into that. All right, we are joined now by the Boston Globe's Fluto Shinzawa to talk a bit about the Boston Bruins and our continuing series of previewing NHL clubs. These are actually the final two clubs. Fluto, thank you for joining us today. We'll get right to it because I know you're on a tight schedule. Um, Just want to start with a big-picture question for you. What is your perspective on the direction of this franchise and the moves it has made to chart that course? Uh, I I think that for a long time some of their issues were were masked by uh, the fact that they were winning. Um, this is a team that was used to getting into the playoffs for a while, but as that was taking place, uh, one area that really fell by uh, some, some weak times was their drafting. Um, you look way back even to 2007, 2008, 2009, these picks just never panned out. It was just miss after miss after miss. And you just can't do that, especially if you look around uh, not just the rest of the conference, but the rest of the league, how these players have become core players now. The the players that were picked in those years, whether it's Subban, Stamkos, just go down the line. And Bruins, they missed out on those. Uh, and then you compound that with some bad trades. Um, Tyler Sagan, the return was horrible. Uh, Dougie Hamilton forced his hand and, and got his wish uh, to leave leave town. And the the return that they got uh, isn't going to help for a few years. So, in other words, the, the real issue that was bogging this team down was drafting and developing. I think they're, they're getting on top of it, but as we've seen, it takes a long time. It takes years for some of these picks and prospects to mature. So that's where they're at now. Um, they still have high-end core talent when you talk about Bergeron, Marchand, Rask, uh, Bacchus, uh, they're hoping we'll, we'll fill that to some extent, but until these picks are ready, uh, they're, they're going to be in a fight. 
to make the playoffs uh, yet again for for the third straight year. So uh, again, high end talent uh, that, that that should carry them. Um, but they were able to stay healthy last year, and they still missed the playoffs and, and got some real good performances out of Bergeron, Marchand, Erickson, who they let go. So I, I think they're in the same same uh, position. They they've made some additions in terms of Bacchus. They, they've solidified their bottom six, but their defense is still an issue. So, uh, yeah, that's where they stand. I want to touch on a couple things that you just said there. One, you said you think that they're back on the right track in terms of drafting, evaluating talent. What makes you believe that? You look at some of the picks that are coming around that they're starting to mature. Um, One of them, Brandon Carlo, he's going to be most likely paired with Chara on the first pairing uh, against Columbus when they open. Uh, Brandon was their second-round pick in 2015. Still only 19 years old, and they've got a couple injuries on the back end. Kevin Miller, uh, he broke his hand. Adam McQuaid, they're saying, is day-to-day. Uh, so if those two were healthy, would Carlo make the roster? I'm not sure, just because it's just so young, first-year pro. Uh, maybe he would have been better served to, to break in uh, with the first month or so down in, in the American League. Uh, Robbie O'Gara, who, who is another one of their picks, this is going way back to the uh, to the Hamilton um, draft 2011. He was a fifth-round pick. Uh, he's, he's a different player in terms of the, the progression. He's a four-year college player out of Yale, um, a kind of a, a different defenseman than, than Carlo doesn't have quite the, the top-pairing ceiling, but uh, has shown that he can play both sides, is, uh, play that shutdown role, 6-4, uh, long stick, pretty smart player. So those are two players that that are coming in and, and, and making the roster. Um, you have other players. Danton Heinen is one of their other rookies. He played for two years in Denver. He's he's made the roster. Austin Zarnick was he was an undrafted free agent, so they, that doesn't really count in terms of picks. But you look down the road, they're they're pretty confident that Charlie McAvoy, one of their first round picks from this past year, is going to be ready after he's, he's a he's sophomore at Boston University this year. They've got another kid, a junior, Jacob Forsbacher Carlson, also at BU. They they project to be in that Bergeron, Smart, the uh, three zone center. So they they've got players coming now. Who knows, right? You you never know with with picks how they're going to turn out. But I think they're confident. I think they've realized uh, the Hamilton trade was was a disaster just because. Now they're chasing that. Now they need a, a right-side, puck-moving, mobile defenseman desperately in the worst way, and the prices have become just too high for them to afford. If, if they want to get in on the Truba thing, then it's going to be Tory Krug plus. And is, that, is that worth it for them at this point? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. So uh, I think they've learned from that. They, 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 they realize that, that these, are, these are commodities that can't go out the door like they were for a while and that these picks are precious. So uh, I think I think they they've they're, they're starting to see some of these picks mature, but again, it's going to take time till they're real bona fide uh, NHL contributors. Now, Fluto, one of the most talked about areas of improvement this offseason about them getting faster is just simply saying you want to play faster, going to make it happen. Zdeno Chara, Adam McQuaid, uh, Kevin Miller on the blue line. Can they really move pucks quicker and more efficiently simply because they're being asked to, or is that, or they just have a fundamental flaw in the way the game is being played right now? Well, it's definitely a different system that they're being asked to play, uh, and naturally, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be quicker. Um, before, they were 
the, the DAs are really instructed to stay within the dots, stay at home, or protect the front of the net. Uh, that was the priority, even if the puck was down low. There was always one defenseman stationed out in front uh, taking care of the house. Now, now that will still be a priority, but now these guys are being freed. Um, they're, they're, they're saying, okay, you have the green light. If the puck is up on the wall, go get it. Um, if, it's, if, if there's an entry coming at the blue line that you think that you can uh, you can stop and prevent and shut down, then then go up there. This is this is not really the type of leash that they're being that they were used to playing with. So uh, in theory, yeah, that that's going to close things down quicker. Uh, in theory, they should be able to force turnovers a little bit more quickly and then go on the attack the other way. But that's going to open things up in the zone in terms of the the net front. That's just not going to be as protected as it was in the past and. That means the goalie has to be good, uh, better, certainly better than he was last year, which was an off year for for Tuka Rask. So he's going to have to be sharper. So it's it's an adjustment. Uh, I think Kevin Miller of those defensemen you mentioned, he's probably the best fit to to play uh, that kind of of style. But yeah, McQuaid, he's he's a stationary, stay-at-home defenseman. Same with Chara. Now Chara has the advantage of the reach and stick and. He's, he's uh, adapted his game to be more of a smart positional player, but yeah, that's, that's, those are high demands uh, uh, on a 39-year-old. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, I think they've been satisfied with the way the guys have bought in and, and have tried to learn what they're trying to preach in camp, but we'll see. Uh, they've got a three-game road trip to start the season, so that's, that's when they'll be put to the test. Along those same lines, is the blue line good enough for the Bruins to be more than just a fringe playoff contender? No, uh, certainly not. That was that was their their greatest area of need um, last year, this this past summer, and no, they they didn't do enough to upgrade it. Now I can understand why they didn't, just because they didn't they didn't have a Taylor Hall to trade. They didn't have a Weber. If you go back to last year in season, they don't have a commodity like like Ryan Johansson to trade for. For defensemen like Jones and, and Larson and, and Subban, it's just they maybe it'll come to that point where some of these prospects improve and become core players, and they think, okay, maybe we can afford to deal some of them away for that need. But they're they're not at that point yet. So yeah, it's it's absolutely. Uh, I don't care what kind of systematic improvements that you think you make personnel-wise. It's just it's not good enough to be legit. The contender. Uh, you, you look at the division. Uh, Tampa, clearly number one, and, and Florida, e- even with their early injuries, they should be second. And and if the goalie is right in, Mo- in Montreal, uh, who knows what kind of difference uh, he can make? So yeah, they're they're going to be fighting for that that last that third spot or maybe even the the wild card. So, but that's the position they've been in for the last couple of years, and and certainly the defense is. There's an issue. Just look at it right now. You've got you've got two rookies starting. Uh, you've got uh, Chara just because of the age is 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 going to be a question mark and the the, the speed of the game. Uh, John Michael Lyles, uh, you know, he, he's been okay and he was he was he didn't really help them last year at the trade deadline, but you kind of know what he is. And then uh, Colin Miller, who's a who's a young guy and hasn't really. Uh, established himself in the league. So, yeah, certainly. Uh, I, uh, lots of questions on the back end. Ludo, did, uh, would you say the Bruins still believe that they're in it or they want to be in the hunt for guys like Shattenkirk and Truba who said to, they're said to be available? Or is the asking price just too high? Or have they pulled back from that a bit? 
Uh, I think right now the prices are, are just too high. Uh, I'm not sure what the price would be for, for Shattenkirk, but uh, at the draft it was too high. The Bruins had two first-round picks, and the ask was, was both of them. And that's just, uh, especially for a player, a defenseman going into his contract year who's, who's going to get a, a, a pretty good raise, um, they felt that was too steep a price, and yeah, and it probably is just because of, of like we talked about earlier, their need to to hit on some of these these high round picks. So they're they're just not in a position to be trading them away at this point yet. Um, so Truba, that's that's kind of a, a more of a unique case, just because he wants out and and he's not going to play, and and that's that's a pretty good hole for for Winnipeg. But just based on the, the GM's history, who's been patient, and you know, based on the, the prices that this kind of defenseman have have, have set, you would think he, the, that Winnipeg is not going to be quick to to say, okay, we we need we need an asset for this guy, just given how how high Truba's ceiling is, and I, I believe I believe it to be high. So right now, it's wait and see. I think the Bruins' plan is to hope that that the young players, Carlo and O'Gara, who they don't have reads on yet, that they they give them a decent baseline for this year, and they they uh, they can play varsity minutes, and that they turn into to real real NHL players. And then if that doesn't happen, yeah, then then maybe the heat gets turned up when they say, okay, we we got to get some help here. So that's that's certainly an area that's probably. They're, they're a top priority when they're looking at uh, improving. All right, let's flip over to the, the forwards right now. And you mentioned David Backus earlier. How do you see him fitting in here? What, what, what was the reason for acquiring him? How does he fit in this lineup? Um, well, first off, the, the, the business side, I think, was, was big. This is a player that, that fits the, the organization's profile. Big, strong, heavy checks can fight when when necessary um, I think they they need that just because the, the interest has been flagging and and rightfully so these last two years because they didn't make the playoffs now uh, they're, they're still going to sell out the building but TV ratings were down last year so I think uh, from a business standpoint it, it made sense for them now uh, you had to pay a high price and this is 32 year old guy with, with a lot of miles and concussion history I think Later on down the road, uh, that's going to be an issue just because of uh, those those red flags. But for now, uh, they see him filling all sorts of roles, and we're already seeing it. They're they're not going to have Bergeron ready for for the opener against Columbus. So Backus, who who had started, their their original plan was for him to be at even strength. Their their number two right ring next to David Krejci, he's going to be centering their first line between Marchand and. And Pasternak. So that that shows already that they were uh, they were planning on this guy to, to fill a lot of, of roles. Um, you know, maybe uh, provided the team is at full 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 uh, strength, maybe if you, if you're up late in the game, uh, you put Backus with Bergeron and Marchand and give a real shutdown presence. Um, he'll be taking a lot of D zone draws, which is Patrice's big. Responsibility, so maybe there's some matches saved on on Bergeron. Um, uh, maybe he fought in as your third line center behind Krejci and and Bergeron. So uh, a lot of options, and he and he's going to help on the the special teams power play. He'll be a net front guy, and he'll kill penalties too. So short term, yeah, I think there he's he fills a lot of holes, and there'll be a trickle down effect just based on deployment and usage. 
but yeah, the, the concern is there. There's a reason St. Louis didn't was was nervous about giving him that kind of term because it's just it's high risk. Um, so the, down the road, I think there'll be an issue, but for now, I think they're uh, they're excited about the the the, uh, the multi-use uh, tool that he can be. You mentioned Brad Marchand a couple times there. Career high, 37 goals, 60 points last season. What makes him so effective? Um, probably the the skating. I, I think that's what what that's that's always going to be his uh, the thing that separates him from from his opponents is uh, the way he gets up to speed right away. The, the acceleration is is terrific. He gets right up to speed, and then the the high end speed is there, and then he can do things um, while he's at at high speed. He can he can control the puck. He can on defense. He can. Uh, pressure the puck. Uh, we saw it on the, the penalty kill. I think it was he had four shorthanded goals, but he, he's always been a threat to score shorthanded. And then if you look at his production, it's it's pretty much all shorthanded and even strength. This is not a guy that's gotten a ton of power play time. Um, so you you think he's he's definitely going to be on the, the number two unit. And with Bergeron out, who knows how long uh, he might even get on the first unit. So the the shot is good. He's got a real good shot. It's it's a heavy shot. He's, it's accurate. He's, the shooting percentage has always been high for him. Uh, he he makes uh, good chances for himself. Uh, and obviously the 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 partnership there with with Bergeron is of course it helps him. Uh, you can't help but be be uh, assisted when when you're playing with one of the best two uh, two way centers in the league. But on the flip side, uh, Brad has made Patrice better too. So it's been. Uh, it's been a very good tandem. You could say it's one of the best in the league. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's become a critical player, all situations, shorthanded, five-on-five. Uh, I think the power play is going to be more this year. And, and of course, the agitating, that's always going to be there. Uh, he's probably not uh, as, as abrasive as he was in years past. He's, I think he's toned it down, but he's always going to be uh, that type of player. And, and who knows, maybe he's... He, he takes it too far, and he has the, the suspension history, and you, you never know. He might he might lose his mind and do that again. But that's uh, that's part of the package with him. <laughs> I want to ask you about a couple of young guys. I, I know you wrote about this recently as well. With Austin Zarnick, what are what are realistic expectations for him? And then with him moving in, what does it mean for Ryan Spooner? Is he definitely on the wing now? How is this all yeah. shaking out? Yeah, Zarnik. Uh, to start with him, I've I've liked his game for a while. Um, you look at the the production at every level. He's been he, he's he was uh, one of the the under 18 guys for for the NTDP. He's he's played there uh, more than a point per game player at Miami, which is a, which is an excellent college program. He was there for four years, and then first year in Providence, he was almost point per game player. So this is just this is falls in line with who he is and. And yeah, he's tiny. He's he's five seven, I think uh, one sixty. So it's, that's the only reason why he didn't get drafted, and why uh, it's taken him this long to get up top. But the, the skill is there, the speed is there, the quickness, hands, uh, creative, the vision. Uh, yeah, it's, as a third line center now, right now it's it's he's playing with a couple grinders with with Bolesky and Hayes. Um, so who knows? Uh, we'll see what the production is, but right now he's, he's got some point time on the second power play unit, so I think he'll be able to produce 
uh, offensively, I'm not sure about points, but uh, I think he'll, he'll be consistent and he'll be dangerous. And they've, even, they've got him killing penalties, too, which shows how much trust he has already. Um, and, and that's part of the reason that he, was, he showed he was dependable in camp enough to move Spooner to the wing. Now, it's, it's, it's been a weird thing with, with Ryan. They've always been trying to find the best fit for him, and they're not sure. Natural center, I, I think that's his best position. Just uh, He can get up to speed, and he's flowing through the ice, and he's creative. He's shifty, he's clever, he's got a, he's got a good shot, um, but the issue is uh, the other side of the puck. Uh, he just There's times where he gets dominated um, defensively uh, and, and just, just can't handle all those responsibilities. So maybe on the left side, there's, there's certainly less expectation of, of defensive work, but you know he's he's not a big guy he's, he's going to have trouble on the walls when the puck is coming around there's defenseman uh, pinching down the wall is he going to be able to get that out consistently who knows and it's just uh, he's he's played center his whole life so how is he going to adjust to the wing he's he's played that uh, at times uh, he, he, they tried him there last year and he was okay but uh, yeah it's I don't know how it ultimately shakes out uh, that's I think that's one they're they're going to watch pretty closely but that was an issue just because they thought, uh, well, they had two options uh, at number two left wing. First, they thought they were in the Jimmy VC chase, and they were one of the finalists. They they, they had him. Uh, they were telling him, you're going to open, if you sign with us, you're going to open uh, the season on, on Krejci's left side. So that goes out the door. Then Frank Vetrano, who had a very good first year pro, uh, 36 goals and 36 games in Providence, he, he, he goes down. He, he hurt his foot uh, before camp, and he's out months so those are two options out and that's that's part of the reason why they had to go to the spooner on the wing so yeah long term who knows i think he's ultimately best in the middle but now he's on the wing so he'll have to figure it out and last question is there any reason to believe tuka rask won't bounce back this season uh i don't know uh, you look at the history uh long term uh, even going back to his days in, in finland the, the save percentage and uh, the the high danger save percentage has has always been up. Um, yeah, last year wasn't wasn't good enough for him, and maybe even two years ago probably wasn't good enough. And now was it all his his fault that uh, his performance wasn't as good as it should have been? No, the the defense has been uh, in uh, just under construction, and it hasn't been good. So he's he's had to bail uh, his teammates out, and he's gotten burned more often than not. So, I don't know, goalie, goalies are weird. You've, you've seen maybe some goalies who, who have dips, but you look at the, the, the bigger body of work and the history is there. That this is, aside from a few pockets, that this is a, this is a goalie who's always performed at a very high level, certainly in the top ten, if not top five in the league. So, uh, yeah, I, I, and he's coming off a... A pretty good tournament uh, with with Finland. He says he feels sharp. He looked terrific in the finale in the preseason. So uh, I think they're confident. But with goalies, hey, you, you never know. And, and if you get hurt, if this guy gets hurt, boy, they're they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So. Thanks for joining us, Fluto. You can follow him on Twitter at Globe Fluto. Fluto, thanks so much for joining us. Great insights, oh, yeah, man. Really got appreciate it. My pleasure. Great, great insight as always, and. I think the biggest thing that stands out again, I know, for being me, and we've talked about this on multiple <laughs> shows, was uh, just somebody else 
And in, in addition to us backing up the claims of how awful some of those trades were for their top talented players. Yeah, that was initially going to be one of my questions, but he sort of laid that out there in no uncertain terms that they acknowledged both of those trades were disasters. It, it, you know, from an outsider's perspective, it just seems so obvious that you don't trade a franchise center, you don't trade a potential top-pairing right-handed defenseman when he's 22 years old. Those were just crazy deals. Now, they, they say Dougie Hamilton forced their hand a little bit, but... I have to believe there there were some discussions that could have been had, some talks to, to smooth things over. You can't let prospects like that get away, and you can't let them get away for what they got in return. It's just insane. Those are two giant holes that teams some teams look forever to fill. The, the local team, the, the Coyotes, are still looking for a franchise center. You don't let those guys go. No, and, and again, and a year later, you see a guy like Taylor Hall get traded for an inferior defenseman, in my estimation, mm-hmm. and Adam Larson, and you got to wonder, yeah. Yeah, it might have forced their hand into making a move, but did they have to make a move at that point? And then you can argue, you know, they took three players in that draft back to back to back that were going to take a little bit longer than most maybe in the Boston fan base hoped to get into the lineup after moving out a young asset like that, especially when you're in playoff now mode. Yeah, we all know that the Bruins were looking to move up in that draft, though, and that was part of the thinking there. Instead of just drafting back to back to back, they wanted to move up and get a better player, and that didn't happen either, so... Their entire strategy just blew up in their faces. And still, I mean, this team still has David Krejci, Patrice Bergeron down the middle, which I think are two centers that almost any team in the league with would, would swap out their 1-2 for, maybe exception of Pittsburgh. But, I mean, they're just an unbelievable amount of talent there at the top, but are they a little bit too top-heavy? And, you know, Fluto was, didn't parse his words when talking about the blue line, yeah. which is the big concern with this team. Can they be effective enough? And yes, they're going to be playing a different system, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be able to do all the things that that system entails. No, and, and again, those, the names that we were mentioning with Char and McQuaid and you know, even Kevin Miller, who, who Pluto admitted has some, some of those abilities, but he's just really the best of that lot of guys that we just mentioned. That's yet another reason why you don't trade a Dougie Hamilton. Zidane Chara is not going to play forever, and he's clearly slowed down quite a bit. He's not the player yeah, he was almost when we were 40. talking about him. Yeah, we, we were talking about him as a Norris Trophy candidate. So you got guys like Carlo, well, Carlo really more so than O'Gara, that, that can be that style of player, and, and maybe an underrated signing in John Michael Lyles that, you know, that they, they got from Carolina. But I, I just don't see the personnel on this blue line to, you know, as you asked when, when, when uh, we started the interview, is simply saying you want to play faster because the league is playing faster enough? No, you don't have the personnel. You can't just, just decide, oh, we're going to play a different system and then do it. You have to fit the personnel to that system. Yeah, I mean, it's nice you want to play faster. That's great. That's the right direction they should be going. But the one that, you know, they could have been playing faster with guys like Tyler Sagan and Dougie Hamilton and Phil Kessel. And, well, they could have. Yeah, I wonder how much they put in to possibly acquiring a defenseman like Shattenkirk in the offseason, too, or you know, less, maybe less so Truba now, because I, I get the sense with Truba that Winnipeg simply doesn't want to trade him. Yeah, they're, just, they're, gonna, they're content to just let him sit if that's what he's going to do. But Shattenkirk, if you're looking at this realistically or logically, Shattenkirk's value was greatest in the offseason. You get into the season, if you move him at the trade deadline, you're talking about a bunch of playoff teams that don't want to give existing NHL players up in return, so you've limited your market. You've dropped your market for that player. What Doug Armstrong is doing right now, the general manager of the Blues, I don't understand, to be honest. I keep waiting for him to realize this and you know, pull the trigger on the Shattenkirk trade, like right now, you know, this, this week. Yeah, he's almost acting like he's dealing with an RFA. Yeah. Like, well, you know, if, if we don't trade him, it's not the end of the world. No, it is kind of the end of the world because your team is, in my estimation, as we talked about earlier on the show, not a playoff team right now. You're going to start to head to a rebuild here sooner rather than later with a new coach starting next year. 
You need to get a valuable assets yeah. in return. Maximize for your value. Absolutely. You can't, you can't walk for nothing. He can't. Or no, you can't they, walk they, for they've a, acknowledged that themselves. They can't let that happen again. They can't lose a guy for nothing. Not, not this kind of asset. A top pairing, potentially right-handed defenseman, that's a rare commodity in this league. You can get a lot for it. Make the deal. You've got, you've got Alex Petrangelo. You've got Colton Pareko. What are you waiting for? I, I don't get it. I really don't. They've We're bo- talking blues instead of I know. Bruins, they by bo- the way. They, yeah, they box themselves into a corner. But, you know, Shattenkirk would fit on, the, on that blue line very yeah, well. He'd fit on a lot of blue lines. But he'd I just, fit on the Coyotes' blue line, too. I, I do wonder what they'd have to give up to get him. And, I, yeah. again, we still don't quite know what St. Louis wants other than too much. I mean, that, that seems to be every team we talk to, every beat writer we well, talk to. We know to, they want a Dylan Larkin from Detroit, so. Well, if, if that's their starting point. I mean, that's like the guy in the fantasy, your fantasy league that just starts every trade with, oh, give me your star I, player for my garbage. Yeah, and as, as Coyotes general manager John Chayka said, when you've got the player, you can ask for whatever you want. But there's going to come a point where Doug Armstrong realizes, I'm hurting myself here. Yeah, I'm not going to get that return that I want. So as you get deeper and deeper into the season, the return gets less and less, and you're, you're wasting a valuable asset. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. All right, before, before we move on to the Flames, I, I asked this to Fluter. I want to ask you, do you think there's any reason to believe Tuka Rask won't bounce back this I, year? I, you know, it's, that's the other thing that I wanted to talk about with you, actually, because, you know, when you, when you look at history, okay, but we're, we're talking about the future. We're not talking about history, and as players age, they get a lot of mileage on their bodies, and Tuka Rask certainly has a lot of mileage on his body. Yeah, I absolutely wonder if he's going to recapture that magic. I look at how, how many goaltenders can you think of in, in this league, like in the last 20 years, that have managed to remain consistent over a long period of time. Lundqvist? Yeah, it's a handful of guys at, at best, right? Price, I mean, it's, but it's the, the upper, upper, upper echelon. And you could argue that Tukarask was in, maybe at the very bottom, but in that upper echelon well, at one point. I think there was point, a, probably but, a, a short period where people thought he was at the top. But, how much, but you start to wonder how much of that was system and how yeah. much of that is now. That That's fair. He might be a very good goalie, but he was, looked like a great goalie in the system that complimented him with the talent in front of him, mm-hmm. where now, where, especially with that blue line not doing him any favors, he might just be a, a good goalie. Yeah. And just a good goalie with that blue line is not going to be enough to do any damage. No, it's absolutely not. I mean, if, if the Bruins are to be a playoff team, Tuka Rask has to be the guy that we've seen in the past. If he's just a good goaltender, this team's not going to the playoffs. Well, speaking, we're going to transition now to a team that you think is going to the playoffs. And let's talk about the Calgary Flames, which we've talked about a ton, probably the, might be the, dar- might be the adopted team of the Natural Hattrick podcast. Because of B. Because of B. <laughs> let's talk about them with Calgary Heroes' Kristen Oldland. Happy to join you guys. I'm happy hockey started as well, too. I have to ask you something right off the bat. I noticed a W flag flying last night on your Twitter uh, timeline, so I have to ask about that. Being a Chicago guy, I have to ask what that was all about. Yeah, um, they're exciting, and I really, I swear I didn't just jump on the bandwagon all the way from (laughs) Calgary. I promise. Um, I inherited a a Chicago Cubs um, allegiance uh, in my household, but um, been watching actually all their games. Pretty much, all, I, I've seen pretty much all of them, or quite a bit of them actually, in the summertime um, during the off season. So I, I love playoff baseball, but I do I do like um, the way the Cubs have played this year. Um, we were in uh, Arizona this summer, and we saw a Diamondbacks game, and it wasn't not quite the same. No offense, but <laughs> None <laughs> the, taken. Cubs, the Cubs are a good team. We agree. <laughs> All right, well, after establishing that you're a Cub fan, I I just want to let you know that you have an open invitation to come on the show anytime now. Luke and Jamie may not agree, but I really don't care. (laughs) We don't have baseball in Calgary, so, and in, you know, I guess there's the Toronto Blue Jays. 
I should be cheering for her. They're the only Canadian team in the postseason. But is that how that works? I don't know. I love I love the Cubs, man. They're so good. <laughs> does Does every Canadian feel like they should be rooting for the Blue Jays? Yeah, and it's I don't like it. <laughs> I wish you know we, we there's Seattle like we a lot of uh, probably the West Coasters are, and even in Calgary it's kind of both. Yeah, uh, there, there's lots of people um, from Toronto that live in Calgary and are you know Jays fans, but you do kind of feel like you need to support the Canadian team, much like the uh, Toronto Raptors in, in the NBA playoffs. But I don't really agree with that because I'm a, I'm a sports fan in general. I think maybe bandwagon jumpers will jump on the Jays um, bandwagon, but I'm I'm a sports fan, so I I. And like I said, inherited a Cubs rivalry or Cubs allegiance, so I've got that going for me at least. Yeah, it's got to feel weird to root for a Toronto team anyway when you're from another Canadian city. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Okay. And yeah, and especially being in Calgary, it's, you're kind of pretty far removed from from the playoff craziness in, in Toronto. But uh, of course, you see it all the time. It's on every uh, sports station in, in, in Canada and Calgary. So, um, but. Yeah, I mean, we subscribe to MLB.com and that's what, or, or the MLB TV and get get our fill of baseball. All right. Well, let's get to the topic at hand. I want to talk about the Calgary Flames with you. And you obviously have a guy as general manager that we are very familiar with down here. I want to talk about the course of this team and how it might be different with Brad living as your general manager up there. Yeah, it's uh, been quite interesting the way that he's, formed this team since he arrived on the scene in 2014, the springtime of 2014. Um, obviously, taking over for uh, um, Jay Feaster, uh, who was fired, you know, or let go in probably about maybe the beginning, near the beginning of the 2013-14 season. Uh, and then, of course, Brian Burke took over the interim duties. So, like you guys said, I mean, you're familiar with Brad Trinidad. He's a smart man. He's a businessman. Um, but he also has Brian Burke in his ear, um, giving him advice, uh, obviously not calling the shots. Um, but he's there for, um, you know, bouncing ideas off of and um, part of the meetings and part of the whole process. And so I and I haven't really seen a lot written about this, but there's certainly, um, I can really tell Brian Burke's influence on, on the team. Um, but also, um, I, I'm pretty sure Brad Tree Living has learned so much from, from being working with Brad, Brian Burke directly. And um, just in terms of making deals, what the team needs, um, addressing needs when they come up, not letting things go too long. Um, and we've certainly seen that in Calgary. There's They... If there's a problem, they really start to address it. Um, you know, early last year with the they had three goalies, which um, kind of was their uh, probably their Achilles heel for much of last year. There's lots of things that were wrong with last year's season and last year's team, but uh, having three goalies to start the year was just not the way that they not not working or did not work at all. Um, they had uh, Jonas Heller, Kari Ramo, and Yumi Ortio in the mix. Um, but they solved that. Brad solved that. He headed into the uh, off season, this off season, um, looking to figure out a solution to that, and he found it in Brian Elliott trading for him at the NHL draft and not really giving up too much uh, in return for for Brian Elliott, and a bona fide number one. So there's lots of little things with Brad that you're starting to see 
how he works, how he operates, um, his relationships in the league. Uh, he's starting to become a, a pretty well-respected GM, in my opinion. Um, and just looking at what he's done with the on ice product in Calgary and, and making those those moves, but also signing, you know, the way that he signed Johnny Gaudreau for what he signed him for and um, negotiations uh, took a long time, probably longer than he'd ever thought. Uh, and then signing Sean Monahan as well, too. Those were all the deal, all deals that he made and did. Um, we're seeing a really, like, it's Brad Tree Living is a smart hockey man. We're definitely seeing um, the benefits of that in, in Calgary, that's for sure. Yeah, I want to follow up on that. And one of the big moves he made out of the gate, of course, was Dougie Hamilton. But another move that he just made is, is bringing in a new coach. And I'm, I'm curious why you think Glenn Gullitson is the right fit why Brad thinks he's the right fit, and what will change under him? How, the, how will the Flames look different? Yeah, it's under Bob Hartley, I mean, Bob was a good coach. He was a certain kind of coach, um, a very tough coach, but he took them as far as he could, and that was the biggest thing that Brad said when he uh, had let go of Bob in the summertime and then hired Glenn Gullison, that Bob had took them as far as, as they could go. And he was good for young players in a lot of ways, but um, I think long-term, de- like developmental-wise, uh, Brad was looking for something more, something deeper, something bigger um, in terms of, you know, having a guy, a teachable, like a teacher coach. Uh, Glenn Galton is a teacher by um, by by trade, uh, so you have this this these two different leading aspects. You have the hard, gruff, um, you know, part Bob Hartley kind of style. Uh, maybe more of an old school coach, really um, stressed, uh, physical. You know, um, being in shape and and um, just just had that um, really really tough side to his coaching style. And then you have Glenn Gullitson, who's obviously is very just different. He's different in every way. I mean, he's not. He's quiet. Uh, he's more of a reserved guy. Uh, he does get mad when he gets mad and frustrated. You can tell, um, and the players know. He's, he really makes an effort to get to know what makes the players tick and which players need what when. Um, and that was something Brad True Living really liked in, in Glenn Gullitz. and um, just a total different uh, aspect to leading. And so when you have this younger, maybe a little bit more relatable guy you know, motivating and teaching these young players how to play in the NHL, coupled with a few veterans in the dressing room already that understand the culture. They all, they, some of them have been in the city um, for a while now. Uh, Matt Stajan is one example, for example. But then you have a Troy Brower and you have Mark Giordano who can complement um, Glenn Gullitson's kind of major pitcher and, and bigger pitcher idea. It, it, you know, and it, obviously everything looks rosy and looks great on paper in the summertime and and they have to play the games and we'll have to see what actually transpires this season but to me that's what I see from Glenn Gullitson is a little bit more of a player's coach uh, much like Dave Tippett I mean in, in Phoenix you have that you have a guy in charge there that understands what makes players tick and and they'll go a lot further they're more likely to go a lot further for a coach like that than if they're getting yelled at and berated all the time so you have um a completely different approach uh from compared to bob hartley as you have in in glenn gullison with the flames so and it's really important 
to manage those young players correctly. They have Sean Monaghan, Sam Bennett for another year into the league, and then they have a young guy in Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau and Dougie Hamilton, as you mentioned, is still a young player. So they need to be molded in the right way, and it's it's critical years of their NHL career. So you have to have the right guy in place to do that. Before we get into some of the additions they made this offseason, how are the Flames feeling internally about Dougie Hamilton a, a year in? He had a rough start, I think. Um, but internally, I think they know that he's a good player. He skates well, understands the game, and he has signs. Obviously, you saw what he did in, in Boston all those years. and um, Just a young, young player, lots of upside. Um, I think that they would like to see him get off to a better start than they did last year. And keep in mind, he was adjusting to a new team, a new system, new coach, new surroundings, um, this big deal. Um, he signed in the offseason with uh, Bradtree living at, the, at last year's draft. So he was coming in a little bit eyes wide open and probably didn't um, understand or really you know, anticipate that he was going to need a lo- as much time as he did to adjust. Uh, I think they're expecting a little bit more from him this year. He's going to be the bona fide third defenseman. You have Mark Giordano, TJ Brody, and really Dougie Hamilton is their three cornerstones on defense. They still have Dennis Weidman and Doug, and uh, Derek England and Yurki Yokipaka, but um, obviously Dougie Hamilton comes with that big contract, so you, lots is expected of him. And I think internally they expect a bigger year than last year, and and, and obviously a quick start compared to last year as well, too. You touched on uh, Brian Elliott earlier. I want to ask you about a couple of the other additions. Bringing in Troy Brower, what was, what was the thinking there? And then most recently, just a couple of days ago, or maybe even yesterday, they bring in Chris Prestige. What do you think those two bring to the Flames? What, what, what was the thinking behind bringing them in? Well, for, for starters, Troy Brower um, at Stanley Cup, he's a, a Stanley Cup winner, um, played on some really good teams, played on the uh, St. Louis Blues last year, uh, Chicago Blackhawks when he was really young, and in between, he played for the Washington Capitals. So three really good teams with big stars that had to learn how to win and then became kind of big, big teams in the NHL. They're, they're you know, three of the best teams in the NHL. So playing for teams like that has to sink in and has to wear off and rub off on a guy like Troy Brower. So the thinking with bringing him in, signing him as a free agent, um, and they've committed to him for a lengthy period of time, four years, uh, which, you know, Troy Brower is only 20, sorry, I think he's 30, 31 or 32. Uh you have a little bit of an older guy presence in the dressing room, and he they slapped him with a um, an assistant already, like an assistant coach, or sorry, an assistant captain. So um, he just automatically adds that leadership, uh, a guy that knows how to win, um, and a real kind of good influence on the current line he's playing on, Sam Bennett and Matthew Kachuk. You have a, a rookie and basically a second-year centerman. So the thinking with bringing him in was that he would be an added vocal leader in the dressing room. He leads totally differently than Mark Giordano, their captain, does. A little bit more of a vocal guy. If things aren't going well, he's going to speak up. He's not afraid to, um, you know, just be that 
sense of reason in the dressing room. So you have that. And then, like you said, it was kind of crazy the way Christopher Steeg landed in Calgary, spent the entire month with the Edmonton Oilers, learned their training, learned their systems, uh, spent time in their training camp. He was living with uh, defenseman Brandon Davidson. <laughs> and then he was offered a contract from the Oilers and then signed with the Flames. It was, and, and then, you know, Wednesday night tonight is their the Oilers home opener against who you guessed at the Flames. Friday, the Flames host the Oilers. Like, so you're telling <laughs> us he was a spy. Work. What's that? You're telling us he was a spy. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> but uh, no, in, in actuality, it's a business. For us on the outside, it always seems kind of crazy when these things happen. But uh, he looking for a place to play and looking to play. Um, he still believes he can win. He's a two-time Stanley Cup uh, champion, even though he was scheduled to play in Bern in the Swiss Elite League last year or this season coming up. Uh, some medical issues deterred that. But, um, you know, he still believes that he has lots to give. And could he's he was skating this morning on a line with uh, Sean Monaghan and Johnny Goudreau. So, and they need a right winger. They need a capable right winger. So that was kind of a theory in, in him landing in Calgary because he wants to play and wants to play more. And there just wasn't really a spot for him in the Oilers. He wasn't he's going to play more uh, bottom six minutes. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, these things happen, um, <laughs> and hockey's kind of a funny business that way. With the additions of, of Brower and Versteeg, do, do you think the Flames are strong enough on the wing to be a playoff contender this season? You'd like to think so. You sure, sure hope so when you had two guys like that in the fold. Um, they still have a few different guys that can play wing on the bottom two lines. I don't think they're necessarily as concerned with the bottom two lines. Um, they've got Michael Furland who can play left or right, and they've got... Uh, Lance Bowman as well to, to play left and right. They also have Freddie Hamilton, Dougie Hamilton's brother. Uh, he's a natural centerman, but probably will see a lot of time on the wing. And then, of course, you have uh, Michael Froelich on the right side, uh, who plays primarily with Michael Backlund at center. So you automatically have a little bit more depth. You have a fairly solidified three lines. I, I would say you have solid, I solidified legitimate NHL three lines, um, top three lines. So you add that, you add, you know, another year for Dougie Hamilton, uh, hopefully Mark Giordano and TJ Brody stay healthy. Uh, you look at those improvements they made on at goaltending, and it looks like a playoff team. And I think that that's what their expectations are for sure internally is to get back in the playoffs. Wanted to ask you a little bit more about the center. Sean Monahan obviously also re-signed on a pretty good contract, and, and I was curious about this. I, I don't know what the internal feeling is. I haven't ever asked Brad about this. Is there any feeling that Sam Bennett just might end up being a better player than Sean Monahan? Are they are they convinced Monahan is their number one? I think for now they're convinced he's number one. I I I hundred percent agree with you. I think that maybe there's a chance that. Sam Bennett might turn out to be an even better player uh, than Sean Monaghan. Uh, look, what you see is what you get with Sean Monaghan. He's uh, had 30 goals, you know, been a top scorer for the Flames for the past three seasons, and his first three seasons in the NHL. I think that that's pretty much, not that that's his ceiling, but I feel like what you see with Sean Monaghan is kind of what you're going to get. He's excellent on face-offs. Um, like he's obsessed with his own face-off stats. Uh, he's a super serious guy. He's an assistant captain as well, too. So 
he's a pretty steady Eddie, and that's what you're going to see probably for the next at least six years um, uh, that he's going to be with the team. Seven years he's going to be with the team. Uh, so you have that, but you have Sam Bennett. He's, we were calling him the X factor heading into this season because he's. It's tough to know what you're. What do you expect from him? Uh, he's, we know he's poised for a big year. We saw what he did last year under Bob Hartley, and then you have a new coach who can probably motivate in different ways um, and teach in different ways. And Sam Bennett's going to be another year older, another year stronger. Um, he could be, yeah, he could be even better than Sean Monahan. He's a tough guy to play against as well, too. Sean Monahan doesn't necessarily have that side of his game. He's just not naturally like that. That's not really what his M.O. is about. Of course, he plays with him and Johnny Gaudreau play together, so they have their own kind of thing going. But playing against Sam Bennett is, is not fun. And then he right now he's on the line with uh, Troy Brower and Matthew Kachuk, and Matthew Kachuk has a bit of edge. And we saw in the preseason that this line was dynamite. So hopefully they can keep that going. But I do see uh, a steady progression in Sam Bennett and probably even eclipsing what Sean Monaghan is going to do for the Flames for sure. Uh, one of the things Craig and I were talking about earlier in the show was Johnny Gaudreau's potential upside. What do you think it is? Because, I mean, it seems like he could even take another leap from what he's already done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and he's only 23. I, you saw what he did in the World Cup for Team North America. It, it's an, it, uh, unbelievable the things that he can do with the puck. He's shifty. Um, his teammates were raving about him yesterday. Uh, obviously, he signed with the Calgary Flames uh, a contract extension on Monday for six more years. So, they're, the Cal- Calgary fans are going to be treated for at least eight years of Johnny Goudreau, uh, given the two years that he spent with the Calgary Flames already. Um, excellent in playoffs. You saw him, uh, the stuff that he could do and the big goals he scored in that playoff run. I mean, it was only two rounds, but that was his first year in the league. So, yeah, he has a tremendous upside, I think. Um, and he's still a young guy. He's only 23. He is what he is. He's undersized. We all know that. Um, barely, you know, five foot seven. I think he's five foot seven. I read the other day on the, the Flames website, and give or take, I mean, maybe on skates. Yeah, they <laughs> <laughs> But that's not really like, like Marty St. Louis. I mean, that's not really – it's – that's, he, is, he is who he is. He's going to be that size. But, you know, he puts on a little bit more weight, kind of grows into his body a little bit more. Uh, that's going to happen as you hit your probably later, like, 25 and on. Um, so, yeah, he's – but the stuff that he can do with the puck already, if, if he can do that, you just imagine what he can do, uh, you know, in, in a few years, getting to know the league a little bit more. Obviously, people key in on him. Um, he knows that. That's, he's had to adapt to that his entire life, but I, I do I do see um, a tremendous upside with Johnny Goudreau, and, and there's more to come for sure. You mentioned Matthew Kachuk. I wanted to get your sense of what 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 did, what did he show them first of all to make this roster? Um, what what are the elements of his game that they like, and is it possible that he ends up in junior still this season? Could this be an evaluation period for him? Yeah, it's um, you know. He's he's relentless. That's kind of the one way I describe him. I I, I heard you, know, you. There's all the adjectives um, when a, when a team drafts a player, especially six overall or, or very high in the, the draft. They have all these adjectives that describe them. Um, you know, gritty, 
Uh, I think Brian Burt called him a tough little SOB. <laughs> um, well, at so, least that's not pulling from the book. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I mean, Evan, you don't you don't know, right? Like, I, I didn't see a lot of his games. Uh, I saw a few games uh, at the Memorial Cup and liked his game, and he's a pretty hard-nosed guy, plays in the guts of the game. But then you see him on um, my practice, and you, I don't know. Like, you look at him, and he's... He, um, teenager still he's 18 years old and he still looks like it but then you see him in the game and he's not shy he's not tough or he's not um he's tough he's not going to back away from the tough areas Uh, and he's just drives hard to the net and he also makes plays so he's got a little bit of his dad in him of course he could check as you guys know in in in, uh phoenix <laughs> a tough guy to play against. I, but during the preseason, he's gotten steadily better as as the games have gone on. He scored twice, including one uh, shootout goal um, in this in the Flames' uh, second last game of the of the preseason. So he got better as the, as the preseason went on. But it's a day to day evaluation. I talked to Brad yesterday about that. He's here to start. They have no number in mind. Obviously, there's that nine-game magic number that he has until they have to make a decision on him to send him back to junior or keep him, burn one, one, his first year of his entry-level contract. I see him lasting past that nine-game mark. Now, keep in mind, the Flames play Edmonton twice. They play Vancouver, and they also play um, St. Louis twice, once in St. Louis, which is um, his dad still works for that team. And it's going to be the pressures of playing at home in St. Louis. And then he plays in Chicago. So it's not a very easy schedule to start the season in those nine games. Um, but if he can rise to the challenge, and if he seems to have over the past, you know, months that he's been with the Flames, we'll see. Going back to something we talked about earlier, which is the goaltending situation. Not only did they bring in Brian Elliott, they also have Chad Johnson. How confident are they in this pa- in this tandem of goalies and given that neither one of them are signed beyond this season is this more of a prove it year for somebody or do they think Elliot is going to be the guy moving forward I think they have a feeling that Elliot's going to be their guy um and I I heard that they've already engaged in uh, contract talks with uh ex- contract extension talks with uh, Brian Elliot they they saw you know you saw it in preseason he's an NHL goalie it's just uh, so apparent, especially compared to what they had last year and the uncertainty in that. And and that's a ripple effect, right? Yeah, if, if your goalie plays well and if your defenseman trusts your goalie, then um, they're more comfortable. And then if the defensemen are more comfortable, then the forwards are more comfortable. It's just such a ripple effect, right? So you see uh, Brian Elliott, um, and yeah, he's a – the Flames are 100% confident that he's their number one this year. And then you have Chad Johnson, who's, uh, you know, a, a backup. He's kind of put himself in this box as the, the ultimate backup NHLer, NHL netminder. But um, I think he'd probably like to be a number one at some point. I think that, yes, it definitely is a prove it, prove it, show me what you can do year for, for both of them. Um, but maybe not so much Brian Elliott because I think they have a, a kind of a plan with him. The Flames have a few goaltenders in their system that they believe are kind of the next ones. Uh, John Gillies is one um, big goalie, played at Providence, won an NCAA championship. Uh, so you see um, that maybe panning out in the future, but definitely with 
Brian Elliott, there's no question, he's their number one guy. And Chad Johnson um, can win games, too, if they need to. All right, Kristen, last question from us. And uh, I remember talking to Brad about this after that first season, that unexpected playoff berth. He, he thought, at least from an outside perspective, maybe it accelerated others' timeline for this team. And, and of course, they missed the playoffs again last year, which, you know, he, he still felt that there were signs of progress there. What does the internal timeline look like for the Flames? And do you think that they're ready to, you know, make the playoffs on a more consistent basis? Is this a team that becomes a playoff team every year for the next several years? Absolutely. I think that's their their goal. I, publicly, Brad hasn't really declared that as, as where they think that they are um, in terms of their tra- trajectory. But I... You know, you have to think that they they believe they're a contender now. Um, now that they solidified their goalies, uh, locked up their two major stars for the next um, you know better part of a decade, almost six and seven years, and then you have in the prime of both of their careers, then you have Mark Giordano who gets into his big contract as well. Yeah, I I I think that you're looking at a contender and. I, you know, it's interesting. I'll bring up a point that Troy Brower raised when I was talking to him. I was asking him about about the what what does this team remind him of? And he was saying that the early years of Chicago is is basically what this team is, which kind of says it all. You have these two young stars like Taves and Kane, you know, breaking into the league and really trying starting to light it up. And then you add the the winning, you know, mentality behind it, and and that confidence and swagger, and and this is the this is these are the makings of a team that's on the cusp of being a perennial um, playoff contender. Really, last maybe two years ago when they made the playoffs, it was a bit of smoke and mirrors. Maybe it definitely was a surprise. Keep in mind that was year two of a rebuild, like a full-blown rebuild um, that they had that year in 2013-2014, which was basically a a change in identity and a a full-blown top-to-bottom restructure and rechange of their identity. Uh, That's going back to the Jerome McGinley years, and it was kind of the first wave of this rebuild. So then you have that, and then they make the playoffs the next year, and then they have to take a step back, which um, wasn't really, I mean, you could look at it as a step back, but um, definitely a lot of learning that had went on in those years, and there were some, some players that had great years. Michael Frohley, even though he was a little bit injured, um, you know, proved to be one of the most consistent forwards, and then Sam Bennett uh, playing in his first year and getting to know the league, and so... Yeah, I I would see no question why the Flames internally uh, do not uh, they believe that they are a contender, a playoff contender for sure. All right. Well, joined by Kristen Olin, who covers the Calgary Flames for Post Media. You can find her on Twitter at, at Kristen, which is T E N underscore Odland O D L A N D. Kristen, thank you so much for your insights and thanks for joining us. No problem. Go Cubs. <laughs> Go Cubs. Ah, so even on the hockey podcast, we can't quite get away from Cubs mania as the that's aforementioned Sammy Tommy Stoker Stoky walks by with a Sammy oh. Sosa. Oh, that's beautiful. I think that there's a lot to, to break down here, and we've talked a lot about the Flames, but for good reason. You don't and, want to hear my Harry Carey voice then, right? Uh, well, okay. by all means. No, the floor is yours. 
I just when I see Sammy Sosa's jersey, I think about Harry. Harry in his later years was on this kick of spelling names backwards, and Sammy Sosa actually isn't the best example because that's just Asos. But he he liked to spell uh, Andre Dawson's name backwards because I think he just liked to say Dawson spelled backwards is Nosewad, and I'm done here. <laughs> our, our producer, the perplexed look on his face says it all. But uh, back to uh, from Nosewad to uh, the Calgary Flames. I think the right. the, <laughs> See, you're not as good at segues as Luke. No. I admit I made it very difficult. On yeah, you. I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody could have segued that, but I would have given Luke a shot, although he might have just been, his eyes might have just been rolling out of his head <laughs> from all the Chicago talk. But on the Calgary Flames, and it, we know a lot has been talked about. They made that, I don't want to call it miraculous, but PDO aided uh, run to the mm. postseason a couple years back. Didn't make it last year, which makes you sound like, oh, well, maybe they took a step back. But, you know, one could argue that maybe they took two or three steps forward and one step back, and they're actually still right in line with where they should be on their progression. And that's kind of what B is trying to make the point of, is take the record out of the equation for now. They're still on their rebuilding timeline right where they should be. Yeah, and then you, and you well, first of all, you look at the progression of some of these younger players like Johnny Gaudreau, like Sean Monaghan, like Sam Bennett. Like Dougie Hamilton, who I still think is going to be. I mean, they're already slotting him in as number three. He's he's a guy who's going to be a top pairing defenseman this year. He's only 23 years old, and NHL defensemen develop a little more slowly than other players. So, yet, yet another reason that the team we we talked to earlier, Boston Bruins, never should have given up on him. But you watch all those players progress, and you think the team's going to improve simply because of that. But then they filled in intelligently around them. They get a guy like Troy Brower, who's a character guy who has been on Cup-winning teams, who's been on competitive teams pretty much his entire career. Christopher Stieg also played for the Blackhawks and won a Stanley Cup. He's a guy who's so versatile. You can move him up and down your lineup. He's on a great contract. He gives you skill and speed. If he can stay healthy, Christopher Stieg is a great addition. And then you get Brian Elliott, who, I mean, last year for a stretch of the playoffs, you could make the argument, he was the best goalie in the NHL during the, during the postseason. He, he certainly was against the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the pieces you want to build a winning team around, you have depth down the middle, you have high-end skill up top mm-hmm. at the forward position, you have three defensemen that are, are upper echelon, now you have a goaltender, you start to look at all the pieces that they have, and their depth is pretty good as well, as you mentioned. Not only your names, but the names that uh, Kristen mentioned as well, you know, Backlund, Stajan, Boma, uh, Furland. I mean, there yeah, are... Michael League too, who, who Brad Trelevic calls his Swiss Army knife because he does everything. And he's, he's a fantastic penalty killer. He's a guy who plays with tons of pace, so he fits today's game. They do. They have a lot of nice pieces on this roster. Yeah, and if they, if they put it all together, whether it's this year or in the coming years, I believe the phrase was early Blackhawks. Was that the phrase that was yeah, just used? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty big statement. I might, I might have to call beyond that. That, 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 that. That's a high bar. It sure is. That's a really, really high bar to set. But if there's any team that could do it, could be this team. It's going to be interesting to watch, really interesting to watch where this team goes. And again, like you and I were talking about earlier, with the Pacific Division, it feels like, it almost feels like, you know, when, when hot water and cold water, when, a, when the water, uh, hot water supposedly, supposedly rises to the top, it almost feels like we're going to get a turnover where everything that's at the top is about to flop to the bottom in Anaheim and L.A. and San Jose yeah. even when they lose Thornton and Marlowe. I don't, I, you know, they still got some nice pieces, but they're not going to have the depth. It's coinciding with this rise of Calgary and Arizona and maybe even Edmonton, so you could see a complete flip in the Pacific Division. Which I think in, a, in the perfect world of sports leagues is kind of what you want. You want your sustained numbers at some point when they wane to have them overtaken by young ascending teams underneath them, and the Pacific Division is a great example of that. And yeah, it does feel like this is going to be a, a Calgary-Arizona division for mm. 
a while, if even... It sounds crazy just coming off your lips. It, it really does. And to be fair to Calgary, they have guys that have been there and done it already. Mm-hmm. Arizona still has potential, but you know Arizona doesn't have the Goudreau yet. They don't, they don't have the Sean Monaghan or Sam Bennett down the middle yet. Maybe Strom Dvorak turned into those types of players, but yeah, Calgary is... Yeah, Max Domi. But Calgary's pretty far along that line now, and they're probably about a year ahead of the Coyotes. And as you mentioned, they could, they could be a playoff team this year, and that's a fun team to watch if they do get in. A uh, couple, couple housekeeping things before we, we go off. Uh, on iTunes, we've been kind of getting a couple tweets about this. Uh, when we switched audio platforms uh, from Blueberry to Audio Boom, it actually created a whole new feed for us uh, that had updated with all our old episodes. So uh, I'm going to tweet that back out later today. But if you search Natural Hat Trick in iTunes, click on the one and subscribe to the one with the Today's Slapshot logo. Uh, that's the one that has all our updated episodes. It'll have today's episodes. Every single one is in there. Uh, we did not do one last week, so if you are looking for one last week, our phone lines were down, so we uh, we wanted to make sure that we were able to finish off our series. Got to admire his honesty, right? You have to, right? And uh, I'm not going to say it was Craig's fault, but you know, oh, it could be a possibility. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. So if you search "natural hat trick" on iTunes, uh, make sure you click on the one with the Zay Slapshot logo. Uh, we are on Google Play. We also are on Stitcher now. There were a lot of people that requested specifically for our show to be on Stitcher. I've been told we are on there now, so if you can listen to us on your Android devices. And next week, uh, we don't no more previews. We're done. We're done. We've talked to every team, including the Las Vegas something nights. The Las Vegas November something is when they're uh, going to announce the name. Allegedly. That It'll come out nobody the same cares. time as the Coyotes Arena announcement. So never? <laughs> Ooh, did I get on that topic? Yeah, let, let's, let's not gotta, do Let's that. consider editing that out. <laughs> but uh, now, you know what, hey... We, Season starts today. We went over our predictions. Luke Lipinski should be back next week. If he, you know, if he cares about our listeners at all, he'll be back next week. And, uh, I think and that... our Twitter handle? Ah, yes. The Natty Hattie. At the Natty Hattie on Twitter. You don't want to say it. You don't want to do it. You can't do it, can you? <sighs> James the straight-laced one. Yeah, see. Uh, the Natty Hattie. That, that, <laughs> it's so much better when Craig does it. That I, I, I just got to give him that opportunity. Craig gets to do so few things in life. I want to make sure <laughs> he has the ability to have that. Wow, a little glimpse into my miserable existence. Thank uh, yeah. you. Uh, on, on that note, for uh, Craig Morgan, myself, not Luke Lipinski, and Craig Morgan's Burger King meal, we'll be back next week.